Blog Talk Radio. You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates that all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you, to see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages, creator, author, victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people, and it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained, overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend request me or follow me and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. And today is March 14th, 2022. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. Today we're going to be going over Chapter 4 of How to Qualify for the Celestial Kingdom today. And my wife, Kim, is going to be reading it. Uh, She was not able to get on earlier, and I had to take full advantage of having my two older kids home today. So after I woke up, 
uh, we were trying to get some stuff done, and I just wasn't able to do a recording. I, and Kim is actually um, really excited about this book. She likes this book, and I like her to like this book, so I do want her to read it so that, you know, so that we're doing this together. But um, she, we have a thing on Monday, a family class, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was there tonight. Uh, you guys did have um, food at the family class. What did you guys eat? Um, it was baked potatoes and Salisbury steak. Oh. Yep, there was and a lot more people, people there tonight. So, like twenty or no, like maybe thirty. 25 to 30, I would say. Um, I think. I don't know. There were there were several families there. One of the families who hadn't been there before but is there now, um, I, we were talking with them a little bit, and um, they were having um, some things. I don't know how to explain it at this thing. Um, but I guess they have, like, 12 kids. And she had three or four of them there with her. Um, and they were like kind of the same age as Liddy. And, um, yeah. And they were, I, I like this because, so they were, they're kind of at the same kind of struggling thing as Lydia is. And, um, they talked about, so the lady who's in charge there, um, oh, Amberly kept asking her questions like, can I do this or can I have this or whatever? And she loud and adamantly, you know, she wasn't like yelling or anything. Not like that sounded weird, but like she let Amberly know and everybody else around there. She was like, mom is in charge. And what mom says is what goes. Mom tells me what to do. Mom is going to be the one in charge. So that was like really good. And I was like, oh, that was nice for, you know, Olivia and everybody to hear. And then um, a little bit later, um, I don't remember, we were talking about something. And I like kind of patted Olivia on the back. It wasn't like aggressive at all. It was like patted, like we were kidding and playing and whatever. And I patted her on the back and I was like, oh, um, no, she said, you hit me or something like that. Like loud, Olivia did for attention, I guess. And I was like, yeah, in the face was my foot. And I like lifted my foot up and Tessa goes, you have to do it again if she, if that didn't work. And it was kind of funny because Olivia was like, what? You know what I mean? <laughs> she, it was funny yeah. because then, so they, it was good because I'm sure that the kids there are trying to get a rise or a reaction or something or attention out of the adults yeah. or the people. So when the person in charge is, you know, siding with the parent and, like, helping the teens understand that the parent is right, that they're trying to help them, or they wouldn't be there. So it was it was good, I think. Um, today was good. Um, and we talked a little bit about um, using I statements, um, and I can Instead talk to you all about it later. Stuff. It's a lot. 
Yeah, yeah cool. not accusatory right. statements. I and uh, got there two was like. Okay. Go ahead. Oh, um, I was going to say there were um, 12 different um, things that we talked about what, what was not good to do. And then um, a lot of us owned up to what is it that we do that we should not be doing. One of the things, um, so um, Emmett admitted to being kind of passive about everything. Like, there's no problem. Nothing's wrong. It's fine. And he does that all the time because he doesn't care. So he's lazy and he doesn't want to do anything. So he's always like, nah, it's okay. It's we're, we're fine, fine. Whatever. It's, it's, all, it's all good, man. Yeah. Emmett, you wrong. know what? On radio, <laughs> hey, I know. I know that you have a headset on and you can hear as you're talking, but on radio, yeah. when you talk over somebody else, they can't understand you because it all goes yeah. into one speaker, mic, whatever. So yeah. if mom's talking and she's continuing to talk, stop talking over her because you cannot hear her and you cannot hear you. Nobody can hear you or her when you talk over her. So anyway, go ahead, Emma. All right, Kim. Okay, so, um, and I talked about, I'm very sarcastic. It's like my first language, and English is my second. <laughs> um, it didn't, it didn't so use to I, be, though. No, but I am extremely sarcastic, and that can't always be good, especially with kids with Asperger's. Um, who have a hard time with social cues, it doesn't make it better. So um, I have to work on that, even though everybody laughs more because I am so comical. Um, but, uh-huh. yeah, so I'm not amazing at that. Um, Liddy admitted to being, um, what did they call it, um, explosive, kind of. So, like, she's everything's fine and yeah. wonderful and everything's okay. Oh, you and breathed so it's not. in my and general then she, direction. Oh, that was a separate one, and she didn't admit that out loud. Yeah, I I heard you. So that one was a separate one, and that one was, they did talk about that is one of the 12, and that is, I, I don't know, I called it being liberal. So, (laughs) But, I I mean, like, it is where they overreact. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted to not, I would like to say it when you're not talking, because, yep. like I just got done talk, telling Emmett, when two people are yep. talking on the radio at the same time, you cannot understand yep. them. So what I yep. said for the listening audience, because you couldn't hear it, was Olivia basically is like, oh, you breathed in my general direction. And then I picture Riley's uh, anger in up, or what's that? <laughs> pro- Inside what's that out. Inside yeah. out. Right, where he blows up and fire comes out of his brain and, like, goes crazy. Yeah, that's, uh, we should call her Riley. Riley! <laughs> so, uh, anyway, yeah, she... Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, so she, uh, that was what she talked about, um, her weakness. Um, the two of them, yeah. Um... What else? We it was there was a lot of them. I can't remember them all. I did write it down because I was taking notes, so that was good. And 
Yeah, I can talk to you about it more later. Just it was talking, you know, differently yeah, about how fine. we talk and how we can change that. Um, I did I get a chance that. to meet her handler. Her handler. You know who? Her handler, remember Morgan? Yeah. Yeah, like um, I got a chance to meet him. The chair and the whip out to tame the <laughs> lion. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and we discussed some things. He's going to go see her tomorrow and have a meeting with her. And um, he is going to help work on um, the the stuff that she does, like telling me to shut up and no and stuff like telling me no um, and being upset with me about everything at the drop of a dime. So um, we're going to work on those types of things. But anyways, uh, for the listening um, audience, he, uh, Olivia thinks that she's self-entitled and everybody must bow down and serve her and worship her, and it's just getting old, so and uh, causing some problems. So we're trying to work with her. Um, now I was going to say something about the two comments that I got today. One was somebody was telling me. They were watching one of my old videos from like, I don't know, 2015. And they also watch and listen to my other shows, you know, podcasts and videos. And he said, you used to be so positive, And now you're bitter and negative. And I was like, well, if you need an explanation about that, see Isaiah chapter 49. <laughs> In Isaiah chapter 49, the Davidic servant is basically lamenting that nobody will listen to him. And uh, and it's frustrating. And he's like, why am I even doing this? What's the point? You know, and yeah, I get to that point because guess what? Like, the people who believe me, they don't listen. They won't, like, actually do what I tell them that they need to do, which is not something I... Uh, care about like I I I've been told by God in 2016 that everybody needs to leave the cities and to gather to Emory County and that this is a staging area this is the whole reason why we picked up and moved you know um, and nobody does it now there's two individuals that I met last week that they both moved down from Davis County and from uh, somewhere else and they moved here because they felt like God was telling them this is the place they need to be, that this is going to be a place of safety uh, for a time, you know, and they didn't even know who I was. So, like, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, I guess. But, um, but like, there's so much more. Like, I, I'm really bold in telling people who I am and what my job is and all of that. And people don't care, which goes along with Isaiah 49, you know, people don't care. They have mm-hmm. all this lip service, even, and I'm sorry, I don't want to be mean, but like even Kevin Crow, like, and Beverly, like they're just going to be in Santa Quinn because that's where they feel like they need to be, I guess, you know, um, like what I tell them about 
you know, severing the ordinances of all the holy people, guess what? That includes them. They know that we're true servants. You know, Kevin recognized me when he first saw me, but he had never met me before, and this is before I was on social media, you know. Um, And, like, when Kim was talking about, well, when Kevin was talking about his experience where he had seen Jesus Christ in the flesh, like, Kim started talking about her experience, and I just stood back and listened, you know, and she went into detail about his, uh, Jesus's eyes, which are very unique. You know, they're blue, but there's more to it than that. And Kevin perked right up, and he was like, oh, yeah, that's right, you know. And I'm pretty sure Kevin's heard like a thousand people say all these stories about all of the different kinds of things because he's like a magnet. People go to him. But, um, but he knows that we're true messengers, you know, and that we've had these experiences. But he doesn't get rebaptized because his priesthood is supreme, I guess. You know, and um, Joshua Erickson, you know, like we've been working with a bunch of people, very, very intelligent, knowledgeable people for years, and they consider us friends. But they like put us off to the side, like, oh, yeah, that's nice that you had those experiences. But, you know, I, I don't need to listen to you. And, and, like the Doctrine of Christ call, which is actually going to be happening here in 12 minutes. Every Monday they go on at 8 o'clock, and we had to do this late tonight, so we're kind of overlapping with them. But, like, they'll talk all about the Davidic servant and all about they, they stick to the Doctrine of Christ, like the contrite heart, broken spirit, whatever. But they don't do anything. Like, that's all they focus on. They, they they will not talk about united orders or the law of consecration. Um, and that they all say, well, you just need to follow Christ. Anybody who comes and says anything and wants you to do anything, and you just don't listen to anybody because you have to follow Christ. And it's like, okay, well, the man like unto Moses, who is a Messiah, and we've talked about that before, he's Messiah ben Joseph, uh, it says, all they who will not hear his word and obey his message will be cut off from among the people. You know, so there is actually a servant that's coming to set the house of God in order. And if you don't hear him, you don't shema, you're going to have issues. You know, and I've been telling people for years, hey, I'm the guy. You know, Rabbi Yitzhak Kajori talked about it. The Dead Sea Scrolls talks about it and goes into detail about describing me and describing my life, you know. And, like, I try to lay these things out, and I try to teach doctrine as well. And everybody's like, oh, that's nice that you had that experience. Or more often than not, you're a false prophet. Or, like, the other week when I was talking on the radio show, I was like, hey, you know, you guys say that the Melchizedek priesthood was taken away from Nauvoo and that that had to be restored. Well, Jesus says, build a temple in my name, whereby the Most High can come to other and that he, the Most High, who is the Father, can uh, restore that which was lost unto you, that which is taken away, even the fullness of the priesthood, which they say is Melchizedek, you know. But I'm like, hey, you can't come into the presence of the Father unless you have the Melchizedek priesthood to begin with. So how is he supposed to restore the fullness 
as the foremost is the Mount Celtic priesthood. Oh, well, uh, Joseph Smith, he just lost the keys to pass them on, and uh, he's going to have it restored to him. And, uh, you know, and they just make up crap as they go along. And then somebody else was like, um, well, the fullness of the priesthood was restored in the Kirtland Temple uh, to Joseph Smith in the Kirtland Temple in 1836. And I'm like, well, that's kind of funny because the revelation for 124 was actually given in January of 1841. Okay, and that was after 1836. And he's saying that the fullness of the priesthood has to be restored by the Father in that revelation in the finished temple. And they're like, well, the temple was finished. And, uh, well, that's funny because uh, when Joseph Smith was murdered, they had just started working in the second story of the temple. So it wasn't finished in his lifetime. And, in fact, in fact, it was never fully finished. And, in fact, the same glory that came upon the Kirtland Temple never came upon the Nauvoo Temple. So if you wonder why I'm getting sick and tired of, of you know, arguing with people, it's because they're like, they're like snakes dipped in oil. You cannot catch them. They will find one way or another to make up some kind of excuse why they don't have to actually hear you or why you're not the per- or why I'm not the person, whatever. But, you know, in Isaiah it says there's a remnant a very small group of people who will uh, be in the top of the, uh, the highways at the top of the mountains and in the desert places, and that Zion would be born in the desert, you know, which doesn't describe independent Missouri, because that's not where Zion is born at. That's where it will go to after the exodus. And you've got these people, and this is another comment, somebody was uh, was saying, oh, it's a great um, great uh, great miracle for me to move out to Independence, Missouri, and I know God wants me here. And I, I said to her, well, maybe you're going to be there helping with the welcoming party for the remnant that has Zion born to the remnant or whatever. You know, we'll get there eventually. Maybe you'll be there at the welcoming party. Or maybe you'll be there and you'll have to prepare and whatever, but then you will have to bury you when you, we get there. You know, if God's really telling you to go to this place, because you feel good about it, because you read a, a thing in the scriptures about it, but you don't know all of the scriptures, then maybe, uh, maybe what you're doing is actually not listening to the Spirit. You know, but maybe you are listening to the Spirit. Maybe God wants you to go there and, and you lose your life in the process, but you know, hey, you're being obedient to God. And the guy was, the admin was like, you're threatening, uh, you're attacking this person and threatening this person. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm simply bringing up what Isaiah says. And he says, this is not up for debate. And I'm like, I didn't say, I just stopped responding to this person. But, my words and the meaning of my words as they come out of my mouth, twisted by your in, uh, your mind, is like I can't tell you what I actually meant by that. It's not up for debate. My own words, I can't tell you why I said what I said. It's not up for debate. Like how presumptuous and arrogant to think that you know what I'm trying to say just because you take something I say out of context. 
You know, and like, and it goes back to that other guy, you know, he, he says you're bitter. Well, yeah, you know what? I had to deal with these people for all of these years. And, and, and this was going on way before I was ever called to this. Like these mainstream ignorant members of the church that, that, that think that they know what they're talking about and you show them in church history or in the scriptures and they just want to fight all the time. And you know what? I've been dealing with it for probably 20 years. Okay, but I I kept, you know, I, I, I wouldn't argue so much with them, uh, you know. But now God has told me, you know, if you will not, if they will not accept you as my witness, they're going to be destroyed. And you need to leave the city and you need to gather to Emory County, Utah, because this will be a staging place. And, you know, there's great destruction coming. Okay, so... If we were in a, uh, a high-rise building and the owner of the high-rise building came to you and you're on the top floor and he says, you need to get out because they're about to destroy this building. Something's going to happen, blah, 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 whatever. And, like, he's telling you that this is going to happen, you know. Well, that's Heavenly Father telling me that this is going to happen and you need to go down to this other place. You'll be safe there. And you need to tell everybody else to go there. And uh, and nobody goes, you know. It's like the owner of the high-rise building telling the supervisors, tell them they need to get out right now, and nobody listens. Why would why would the supervisors be upset? I mean, you answer it for yourself. That's why I'm upset. That's why I'm irritated and bitter, and I I feel like people think I'm condemning them, but they won't listen. Jeremiah had the same problem. And Jeremiah wanted to throw up his hands and say, you know what, I'm done. But then he said it was like a fire built up, in, uh, pent up in his bones, and he couldn't stop. And that's also how, what I feel like. I can't stop. But it's so irritating to be rejected continually. And the people who listen, they don't listen. You know, the people who believe, they don't care. They won't listen. They won't be obedient. And, um, yeah, I have a problem with that. And so, anyway, those are the two comments that really set me off. And I'm really, I'm upset perpetually, you know. But at the same time, I'm kind of glad nobody down tell people, you know. I've been given my Oh, you broke up a little bit right there. Say that again. Sorry. I just, I just said, like, I've been given my marching instructions, and I'm not your psychic. So I'm not going to tell you exactly what you're supposed to do, but God has told me to tell you this one thing, and nobody will listen to me, and I must be deceived, and it must have been an angel of the the devil that came and presented himself to me as a physical body, you know, and they just like, they will just destroy every, any sacred thing, you know, and mostly you say, well, you don't cast your probes before swine, but I have to. Because God has commanded me to cast my pearls before swine. And they continually turn and rend me. And yeah, so I am sick of it. Anyway, so... I know that God loves us all. I know that God loves us all. I just don't know why at this point. I don't know why he loves us so much when we're so disobedient and rebellious. 
as a people. Anyway. I've said my piece. Are you sure? You've been doing so good. I'm on the mine road, too, so... Okay. Um, so, okay, so now you want me to finally start the chapter? <laughs> yes, that would be nice. Okay. I am tired. So, this is going to be a fun reading tonight. All right, let's end the other chapter, shall we? Section two. It's just the last page of the last chapter. I don't know why they did section two in one page and not even front to back, just one page. So that this is the end of chapter three, Answers to Celestial Kingdom Questions. Um, it's entitled Love God and All Men. And it says, In section one, we received, we reviewed, hold on, i got to make this light work. How did I make the light dim? I don't remember. Does any of my kids know? I know you're listening. Get in here and tell me how this light works. In section one, we reviewed what is required to enter the straight and narrow path to become candidates for the celestial kingdom. We understand now that we are candidates qualified to receive celestial bodies when the time comes for that inheritance. We know we have much to do in order to become like our heavenly parents, but we know that we have this life plus 1,000 years in the millennium to accomplish this. Our brightness of hope has increased in the fact that each of us can and will qualify for this great gift of eternal life. Once we are on the straight and narrow path, what must we do next? Nephi asked that very question. And now, my beloved brethren, after you have gotten into this straight and narrow path, I would ask if all is done. Then he answers, I say unto you, nay. Wherefore, ye must press forward with a steadfastness in Christ. Oh, hold on. This is Second Nephi, chapter 31, verse 19 through 20. I say unto you, nay. Wherefore, ye must press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God and of all men. Wherefore, if ye shall press forward, feasting upon the word of Christ, and endure to the end, behold, thus saith the Father, ye shall have eternal life. End quote. <laughs> Sorry, I was a little distracted and it almost face planted. <laughs> um, our goal now is to develop a perfect brightness of hope, which will remove all doubt and allow us to focus all our energies on keeping the first and great and great commandment of loving God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. That's Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 29. Nephi suggests that in order for each of us to gain eternal life, we need to develop genuine feelings of love for God and all men. We are also counseled to have unconditional love for ourselves. This section will review this law and how we can have joy as we progress in the straight and narrow path toward eternal life and how we can make dominant in our lives these feelings of love for Heavenly Father. That would be really good. I, um, in general, have a lot of um, understanding. I see people, and I see what they struggle with and what they go through. And I'm really good at seeing that and understanding why people do what they do because I am like, okay, I can see that. I understand. Um, However, 
I don't know if I'm really good at having like compassion for, is it compassion or love for the people? Because a lot of people, I feel like they've been through some things, you know, and that is sad and it's hard, difficult. And I'm sorry that they go through those things. But then I feel like a lot of them just dwell on the negative all the time and they go through something in their life. They can't let go of it. They can't forgive. They can't forget. And then it just drowns them in their life forever. And it's something that they just end up sticking with eternally. And that makes it so difficult. Um, So, you know, they're not the only people who go through things. Everybody has things that they go through and it's difficult um, for each individual um, at a different level, I'm sure. Uh, Excuse me. Um, But whether or not we grow from them and learn from them and move past them, it's entirely a mindset. It's what, you know, it's a mindset of how you think about it and how you dwell on things and um, what you really do want for yourself and for your, you know, children and for the people around you. Anyways, let's move on to chapter four, this pure love of Christ. This is in how to qualify for the celestial kingdom today by James B. Cox still. And we are on page 41. A lawyer asked Jesus, master, Oh, this is uh, Matthew twenty-two thirty-five through 40. The great commandment in the law, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all, hang all the law and the prophets. End quote from Matthew 22, verses 35 through 40. The Savior taught the lawyer several principles. First, we are to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. Second, we are to love our neighbors. Third, we are to feel love for ourselves. Oh, that's a tough one. Fourth, all the other laws, ordinances, and commandments are of little value unless we are in possession of the emotion of love for God. This pure love of Christ. What does it mean to love God with all our heart, soul, might? mind and strength. Bruce R. McConkie suggested the following in uh, Doctrinal New Testament Commentary, Volume 1, page 610, quote, all thy heart with perfect sincerity and uprightness, not dividing one's devotion, but having it centered totally in deity. All thy soul with utmost fervor, thus love is to come from the whole being, from the inner man, as well as the temporal being, all thy mind with intelligence and sense as distinguished from blind and unthinking devotion with enlightened reason as distinguished from mystical and incomprehensible worship, all thy strength with might, power, and intensity with all the energy of one's being. To love God with all one's heart means that his feelings for him would transcend all other emotions, temporal conditions, and human relationships. For example, number one, though rejected by others, one's feelings of love would be greater than his feelings of rejection. His need for others' approval to feel worse would be secondary to his need to share the love he felt for God. One would hate no one. To hate someone would put feelings of hate above feelings of love. One cannot love God and feel hate for his brother. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 through 21. In order to hate anyone, one must set his love for God aside. 
Number three, when one is afraid to share the gospel with strangers, his fear is greater than his love of God because perfect love casteth out fear. First John chapter four, verse 18. How might one overcome this fear? Only by drawing closer to God and enlarging his capacity to feel the pure love of God until it extends to strangers. And number four, when one is fired from his job, he would turn unto God for strength, for his feelings for God are greater than the emotions created from losing the job. Alma 26:12. Number five, when one's teenage son or daughter is in trouble at school, at church, or with the law, his feelings of social embarrassment are transcended by his feelings of love for God and his child. Number six. When one does home teaching, visiting teaching, or teaches a Sunday school lesson, it is done out of the love he feels for God. It is done for him and for the gratitude felt for his sacrifice. It is not done to gain social acceptance or for ego satisfaction. That's John chapter 12, verse 43. Number seven, service in the church is not done out of duty or obligation or even out of desire to serve one's fellow man. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 8. It is done for him and for the gratitude felt for his... Oh, it is done out of this pure love of Christ. Therefore, when one's fellows, even in the church, home teaching, Sunday school class, MIA, or primary group, rejected him, he will remain steadfast in Christ and still feel love for them. Number eight, for one to love God with all his heart means that one takes care of his physical body, his mental development, his spiritual growth, and his temporal assets with God in mind. Number nine, one would seek the Lord's counsel, looking to him in every thought, DNC 636. This would not be a burden, but an opportunity to have God contribute to one's success. God charges no temporal fee for his counsel, directions, or participation. He is always right. He cares. He really cares that every one of us succeeds, and he is always available. When one sins, his knowledge of God's love would help draw him back into the straight and narrow path. It is Satan who would tell him that God doesn't love him anymore because of his mistake. But this person would reject Satan's lie for he knows that God does care and has a great love for him, even though he cannot feel God's love at the moment. That's Alma chapter 5, verse 33, and Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. Number 11, one would not condemn himself when he makes mistakes or doesn't accomplish all the things he knows should be done. Such self-condemnation removes one from feeling the pure love of Christ. When one fails, he should look to God for strength to improve rather than spend his energy in self-condemnation, contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number 12, when one strives to keep the commandments, he draws closer to God and his feelings of charity expand, does not seek to keep the commandments out of feelings of guilt or to feel accepted by his fellow man, out of feelings of duty or obligation. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. Number 13, 
His feelings of love will dominate all worldly praise, money, honors, or anything else found in this world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. This love for God will be stronger than any love he feels for friends, parents, spouse, or children. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Um, if you have anything that you wanted to add, this is a, another section. We're going to talk about dominating emotions determine one's actions. So true. I'll give you a second to respond. I'm actually getting loaded. Okay. Of noise. Okay. I will continue on. Sorry. Keep yawning. There are times when our feelings for God dominate our lives and we feel great peace and joy with him, with our fellow man and with ourselves. There are other times when the cares of this world become dominant and it is hard to let feelings of charity preside. Developing a pure love of Christ takes time, effort, and concentration. The primary purpose of this book is to help each of us find ways to grow in this perfect love of God. People assume that they do not have the pure love of Christ because this emotion does not dominate their lives each moment of the day. But the real question to ask is, am I improving because I choose to draw to him daily? Remember that dominating emotions will determine our actions for the current moment of time. For example, a young man came to my home one day to give me his temple recommend. It seems that he had argued with his boss over something the boss had done to him, and he lost his spirit. He felt that he was no longer worthy to hold the temple recommend. That morning, he and his family had family prayer. His feelings for Heavenly Father had been strong. He felt good about his life, family, and what the day would hold for him. After he arrived at work, a couple of things went wrong, which had upset him, but he stayed in control. Had someone asked him about the church, he would have gladly testified of the gospel. He would have felt spiritually in tune. But during the morning, the boss made some schedule changes without consulting him. Somewhat upset, the young man had gone to his employer's office to complain. His employer listened to him, explained how often offended he was and how it was embarrassing to him when his coworkers knew what was going on before he did. As he warmed to his hurt, he made it clear that since he was in charge of this phase of the work, he would appreciate his employers consulting him prior to making changes in his schedule perhaps had the event ended at this point all would have been fine but his employer was now offended and abruptly expressed his authority plus his concern about how effective my friend was at in his job at this point my friend hit the ceiling emotionally his feelings heavenly father did not dominate his heart at all in fact special feelings were nowhere in sight the fault finding of the boss created emotions in him that at that moment that were so much stronger than his feelings for Heavenly Father. My young friend proceeded to tell his boss a thing or two. He swore at him, told him that others felt the same way that he did about him, and said a few uh, other bitter, mean things that came into his mind. Then he walked out, slammed the door, and went back to his duties. One has to keep feeding emotions in order to maintain them. Some of the other employees had heard the confrontation. 
They wanted to know what had happened. My friend told his side of the story over and over. He really fed his negative emotions. In fact, it was after lunch before everyone had heard what had happened. As the afternoon went by, our friend turned his mind and heart to his work, and the intensity of his negative emotions began to diminish. By the time he climbed into his car to drive home, his negative feelings were reduced to the point that they were equal in intensity to his feelings about Heavenly Father. He wondered why he had been so dumb, but why he had lost control and said things which weren't appropriate for an elder in the Church of Jesus Christ to say. When he arrived home and told his wife what had happened, his feelings for God were dominant again, and he felt very bad about his actions. He recommended, I'm sorry, he recognized that the spirit was gone from him, and he wondered if God could ever forgive him. It was then that he decided he wasn't worthy to hold a temple recommend and that he ought to see his stake president who was just up the street. I gave his recommend back to him. I told him that Heavenly Father loves him even when he makes mistakes. I told him that he needed to apologize to his employer for his actions and express these feelings to the other employees. He said that he would, but then asked, why do I do these things when I know better? I explained the principle of dominating emotions and that as he went about his daily activities, his feeling for God dominated his actions. But occasionally a condition might arise that would create powerful emotions in him, which he might choose over his love of God, and which would determine ungodly actions. However, as he turned away from these ungodly emotions and continued to draw closer to God, his feeling for him would enlarge, and the day would finally come that his feelings of love for our Heavenly Father would be so strong that no conditions or circumstances could create emotions that would be greater. His feeling of love for the Lord would dominate his life and he would have overcome the world. I assured him that Heavenly Father would have patience with him as he progressed toward his great level of achievement. So we're finished with that page. We're going to be moving on to what is the highest manifestation of love. And I will continue because there is no other commentary. <laughs> um, starting this part off with a quote from Mosiah, chapter 2, verse 17, quote, devotion to one's fellow man, for when one is in the service of man, he is in the service of God. End quote from Mosiah, chapter 2, verse 17. Yet this statement isn't entirely true, for one can love his fellow man and not his God, but one cannot love God without loving and serving his fellow man. The highest manifestation of love is devotion to God. However, that on this earth there are many good Christians who love Christ and who serve their fellow man, yet will never see the celestial kingdom. One who loves God will work, will do his work, temple work, missionary work, welfare work, ward and stake work, contributing time, money, and effort into the building of his kingdom on earth. One will do all of these things in God's ways and not in his own way. When one does home teaching, he will do it God's way. When members of the priesthood quorum were asked why they did home teaching, they replied with such answers as the following. A, I feel better after it's done. B, it is a priesthood assignment obligation. C, I enjoy visiting. D, I enjoy hearing what the latest news is. Gossip. E, I have to do it. 
duty because I love my families. Sir fellow man. Gee, I feel guilty if I don't do it. H, I do not want to let my priesthood leaders down. I do this assignment so my priesthood leaders will see me as a person of worth. I, because I love my Heavenly Father and desire to serve Him. In actuality, every home teacher should seek to feel the love of God that God has for these families. And with these feelings of love, go forth to teach. He will be sensitive to the Spirit as he carries out his assignment. He will depend upon God for inspiration as he develops a close relationship with these families. That's from Bruce R. McConkie, Mormon Doctrine, pages 459. And we are now on page 48. In how do I qualify for the celestial kingdom today? Under the subheading, how does one manifest his love for another? Continuing on. A daughter said to her father, hey, there you are. I've been listening the whole time. I just know that I'm in a bad spot, so I don't want it to break up a bunch. Yeah, that's okay. Anyway, I just get a kick out of, like, so it's been a while since we've read a TBM book. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Uh, True Blue Mormon, for those of you who don't know what TBM is, or True Believing Mormon. Anyway, I mean, like, I don't know. I just... I am glad that the church exists. I am not happy about how they waste your time doing a whole bunch of busy work to keep you from having time to actually study and learn the truth of the restoration. I mean, I know TBMs will be like, well, they don't do that. Well, they kind of do. You know, Um, Satan's biggest that he has for us is just to distract us with all the mundane things and all of the everything else, you know. And uh, sometimes I feel like there's a whole lot of lip service being done, but not a whole lot of service in the church. You know, I, I don't even know. I'm on a kick today, if you couldn't tell. I think you know when I came home this morning. Could you tell? <laughs> I could totally tell. Well, I guess, you know, when uh, you're a home teacher and you have uh, all of your families and none of them want to hear you or believe you, and talk crap about you. I mean, but you keep on service, serving them. Mm-hmm. Um, you're doing it for God, but eventually it gets old and it wears you out, you know. I, um, I think that's why I'm here. Yeah. Anyway, um, I can remember see that when my sister said, how may I service you today? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Kim. Oh, it's fine. I was just going to say, yeah, that kind of goes with everything. You, Your body, just like the way that you are, you're, you only have 
so many hours in the day and so much that you can give before your body completely fails out. And so um, you're serving all the time, or at least, you know, that's what I do um, all the time. We can use me as the example is what I was just going to say. So um, wake up, try to, you know, do the kids, get ready for the job of the day. I help other people's kids. I teach other people's kids all day long. Um, a vast amount of information. <laughs> um, I get done. I have my own children that I have to um, serve all the time. And then um, also my husband and just trying to serve my family. And then these animals that are under our care have to serve them also. And this is a very exhausting if it's a roundabout thing. Um, what makes it work and actually help is the service of others. So help with the children if they are helping and serving. And, and also my husband um, helping and serving. Also, it makes more hands make lighter work. But when one of the links is just not doing it or not being helpful or, or being more difficult to make it harder to finish the job, then it really does take away a lot more and it pulls a lot more on the individual myself um so the thing is though um god um i feel like he makes a way for you to have more strength when you're leaning on him and when you're serving god all the time god helps olivia put on the radio show and that's all i can hear is you so please stop um and i feel like the difference is when you're serving God, you can go to him for strength, more strength, more um, energy, more time, more everything. So um, he can help because you do get exhausted really quickly from always serving other people and getting minimum, um, you know, help back or response back. Yeah. Rewards. That's a good Thank you for that word. Yeah. So, and so I think you've talked about this before though. Mark, or I, let me just say this really quick. I think you've talked about this before, though. So a lot of times um, when we talk about relationships or our relationship in general, the only way it works is serving each other. Because if we're both trying to help each other with with our goals, I mean, I wasn't commanded to preach or teach or anything like that, but I try to be supportive. And um, even if I can't be on a radio show or you know, be doing this with you, then I am doing all well, of the other things that's behind the scene to help that happen. Like, your thing, you know, kids what, and, what, God, what, Heavenly, what Heavenly Father told you is to ease my burdens and, I, and you help. So um, I was just going to say, yeah. like, I look at my life as exhausted and tired as I am all the time. I'm amazed after all these years that I'm able to keep going. Uh, and that, that has to do with, like, work. Like, as tired as I am when I wake up and as tired as I am all night, I'm able to go. And my mind is awake and fine, but my body's exhausted because these semi-trucks and because I was poisoned in the past, you know, 12 years ago or whatever it was and all the issues that I have with my health. But I'm just amazed that I'm able to keep going. And... To be honest, today, um, I didn't want to do the radio show. It was Kim that wanted to do it. Because I, because, um, you know, I, I am just tired. Everybody yeah, but even though you are, sometimes you need service. somebody else to, 
oh, sorry. Sometimes you just need somebody else to give you that push. I know that you're tired, that you weren't going to do this, you didn't want to. And you have a hard time with that because if you're constantly the one who's doing it all the time, then you get burnt out. But if I show a little bit of support and, you know, interest and try to do a little bit of help, it eases your burden, it helps you, and then you don't feel guilty later about not doing yeah, what I you've do been feel asked guilty to do. when I don't do. Yep. Because there's been a lot of times so, when I'm like, I'm burned out, I'm done, I'm not doing this anymore, and then I won't yep. do anything for a couple of weeks, and I'll feel bad that I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But um, the other yeah. thing I want so to So I'm trying to, to help carry you through. Everybody is always talking about the dividend servant's going to come, and he's going to set everything in order, or the one mighty and strong. You know, I don't know how to Not if people don't listen. Do it. <laughs> exactly. This is a group effort. Now, um, any anybody who is completely obedient to everything, you know, the perfect Mormon, they can't set the house of God in order. They can do everything right, but if they they think they're setting the house of God in order without the filling keys. They, they can't. That's why God said, that's why Jesus said that he would send one mighty and strong. Because there is a specific individual who is going to come, who is going to instruct the people. That's the main job of, of the one mighty and strong, as spoken of in Isaiah chapter 28, is to teach. But also, like, I'm just going to say it. Like, I was filled up to the Heavenly Father under his own hand. Joseph Smith was that man on the earth in his day. He was filled up to God. And people were filled up to him, and that was part of the law of adoption. And he was the one man on the earth. And now there is another one, okay? And there hasn't been one for a very long time. But in 2003, when I was filled up to the Father, I became that one man on the earth. You know, and I, but I can't do it alone. You know, and for the most part, people just reject it. They don't listen, and they don't care. And like, I ask, I've asked people in the LDS church, like at church or like at Temple Square or something, and I'm wandering around talking to Mormons, I asked them, what do you know about Zion's redemption? And 95% of them don't even know what in the world I'm talking about. They have no idea. They don't know. And, like, they're lost in this carnal sense of their own security, and they think all is well in Zion. And if you say anything against Zion not being all well, you can show them scriptures. It doesn't matter. You're the enemy. And I'm the enemy. I am the enemy to the Mormons, uh, to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, according to them, to the fundamentalists, because I tell them Brigham didn't have the keys that they think that he had, you know, to the atheists, to the Exmos. Like, it doesn't matter. I don't have friends in any of the groups. I offend, I offend every single one of them. You know, I do have friends in the fundamentalist groups, but they still consider me, you know, I don't know what they can they, they're, they're like, pat me on the back, oh, you're smart, you know, but oh, we're not going to listen to you. 
because you're not going to tell us what to do, you know. And I think it's interesting. Um, oh, hey, guess what? The man like him to Moses, it says if you don't hear him, you'll be cut off from among the people. And it doesn't matter how nice you are. And it doesn't matter how much you know. If you're not filled up and received your ordinances and your conferrals through me, you'll be cut off, plain and simple. And God says in Isaiah 49 that there will be another people. And uh, I don't know who those people are going to be, but hopefully we'll figure it out soon, you know. Anyway. um, Yeah. Go ahead, Kim. Okay. Um, just as I just did that, Amber Lee fell. So Emmett has good? taken a tumble, and Amberly has taken a tumble. Anybody else? She just, like, slept backwards on her side head-ish on the dog. But she's okay. But it was just, like, all of a sudden, like, right when... I just unmuted it, and then she did that, and then I, like, stopped what I was going to say or think. I was like, are you okay? <laughs> like, waiting to see what she said. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. What was that? Oh, uh, by the way, Kim, so you know how mm-hmm. Arius said that a dinosaur bit him and the dinosaur was yes. outside? Yeah. We figured out the dinosaur is a Lydia. Dinosaur? Lydia. Got it. Yeah. What'd she do? Hey. <laughs> I'm joking. She didn't really bite him. She, we were just joking about that today because the kids were home, you know, and I was there with them. And I woke yeah. up around a, around noon. So I slept from like uh-huh. 6 to noon, which is actually more sleep than I usually get. So that was nice. Yeah. About uh, 6.30 to noon, cool. five and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Anyway, go ahead. I'll mute myself. I'm almost to the dip anyway. And I can't turn my air conditioner on because the heater won't turn off. And I don't know what's going on. That is weird. (laughs) I know. (laughs) You too. Um, Hold on a second. Lydia, you're like doing it underneath. Look at me. Instead of angling it underneath, angle it on the top. Yeah. Because that doesn't hurt. Thanks. Okay. Sorry. How does one manifest his love for another? A daughter said to her father, now that I have a family, I certainly appreciate the time, effort, sacrifice, and love you have given me over the years. What can I do to repay you? How would you answer that question? Would you suggest that she and her husband pay you $400 a month for the rest of your life? Or do your yard work or shine your shoes or take you out to dinner? And even if she did these things, would it really repay you for all your efforts? Not likely. This father told his daughter that the greatest gift she could give him would be for her to love the Lord with all her heart and serve him unto exaltation. Why would this repay the father? A, the daughter's spiritual growth as she served God would bring great joy into his heart and into hers because her capacity to feel this pure love of Christ would expand. The daughter would experience the same love that the father had experienced in his sacrificing for her, which was the pure love of Christ. 
she would understand where her father's strengths came from. C. Both father and daughter would be able to have this feeling of joy together throughout eternity. They would understand each other. The love they have for each other would grow, drawing them closer to each other. The father was repaid many fold as his daughter served God and others. The daughter did nothing directly for her father, but he was greatly rewarded. The same principle applies to our repaying our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, for their love, sacrifice, and time spent on our, in our behalf. We repay them by serving our fellow man and preparing ourselves to come back into God's presence. Out of the love we feel for God and His Son, each of us will grow into perfection and become like our Heavenly Parents. For we will be like them in love, justice, mercy, judgment, faith, truth, and knowledge. And that one was from Joseph Smith, Lectures on Faith, pages 41 through 48. Um, Now we're going to talk um, a little bit more from Bruce R. McConkie in Mormon Doctrine, pages 121, just page 121. Um, The scriptures, or how does one manifest his love for God. The scriptures admonish in Galatians chapter 5 verse 13, quote, by love serve one another. And 1 Corinthians 16 verse 14, let all your things be done with charity. And John chapter 13 verse 35, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. That's John 15, verse 10. We manifest our love for God by keeping his commandments, which enhances our spiritual growth, and by using the gift of charity in serving our fellow man, the focus is on serving one's fellow man out of the love one feels for Heavenly Father. What is charity? Is it different from love for my fellow man? Let's read about that. Charity is more than love, far more. It is everlasting love, perfect love, the pure love of Christ, which endureth forever. It is love so centered in righteousness that the possessor has no aim or desire except for the eternal welfare of his own soul and for the souls of those around him. No one can assist in the Lord's work without it, according to B&C 12, verse 8, and also chapter 18, verse 19. And the saints of God are commanded to seek it and attain it. That's B&C 121, verse 45. Charity is a gift of the Spirit, which must be gained if one is to have salvation. God's love is perfect love. It is pure love. It is unconditional love. It is unfeigned love. As one seeks for this gift of the Spirit, he will be able to feel this pure love of Christ for himself as well as for his neighbor. And now we're on page 50 if you had anything you wanted to add to that. I can continue. Yep, I can hear you. I gotta roll my window up because I can't turn the theater off. <laughs> oh. okay. I'm like baking in this truck. 
which is really fun when you're like sweaty and then you jump out and it's like 30 degrees outside. That's just great. Anyway, um, <laughs> so like I was just thinking about my own experience. You know, like I, I used to have this deep, deep abiding love for God's children um, and for God, you know. But uh, it's easy to love when it's reciprocated. So when I was in the LDS church, like, I would help out with the lessons all the time, and I always had comments, and everybody always used to pat me on the back and say how much they loved my comments and how much they felt the spirit and all of this stuff, you know? And then in the course of a very short time period, I became an enemy, and all of the people that loved me so much before, they all didn't want anything to do with me. I was just telling Olivia this the other day. They were talking about a dance, and they were, she was telling me about this dance that she really thinks is fun that they do at the school dances. And I, would be, I told her, yep, when I was younger, we used to do that too. She was talking about the electric slide. You know what I'm talking about, Kim? Kim. Yeah, I was muted, and I giggled when you said that. <laughs> yeah, so she was like, I love it so much, because we were listening to it on Sunday, I think it was. And uh, I was telling her, you know, when I was younger, we used to dance to this too. And then I told her, um, I used to go to singles, uh, singles wards and singles dances, and I had a whole bunch of different groups of friends. And we would all get together, and I was the key person that would be, like, none of these groups hung out with each other unless I was there with them. Like, whenever I would leave to go up to, like, Washington or wherever I'd go, if I, if I wasn't there for a while, they, none of them hung out with each other. But when I came back, like, literally, on some of the, the stake, uh, like, stake centers uh, in the cultural hall, like, literally half of the dance floor would be doing the electric slide with me, and they were my friends. That they would come out and be part of my group and uh, would go out to eat with me at JB's or Denny's or whatever afterwards. You know, and it was fun. And then at church, like, everybody would be like, you know, pat me on the back, and they all loved every, uh, like, whatever I would have to say or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So I went from that and uh, to Heavenly Father telling me to be bold with my witness to just coming out and not not being so vague anymore. Because I didn't want to share things with people unless I, they were very close to me before. Uh, and if I did talk about it, I always talk about it in the third person. There was a guy I knew once that had this experience happen to him and, you know, and I, I would just tell people because I wanted them to know that those, those kind of things happen still, you know, when you don't hear about things like that in the church, you know, you might think, oh, that's for another time and for another people. But they do happen. Miracles still happen. And I wanted yep. people to know that. So I would talk about these things, but I would talk about it in the third person because I didn't want them to know it was me. But then in 2013, Heavenly Father told me to be bold. And then, well, I have to be bold. I don't know what else to do. You know, and because I'm bold and share these things, 
all of those people that loved me so much before are all gone. You know, and I I have my wife and I have my kids and I have a couple friends still, you know, good friends. But all those other people are just gone. And it's kind of funny because, like, they're friends with Kimberly. Some of them are friends with Kimberly on on Facebook, <laughs> you know, but they're not friends with me. And I was the whole reason why they even know Kimberly. Like, I was their friend for years and years and years, and now I'm not their friend anymore, and they won't even talk to me. And I don't know. Um, I, my point is, like, it's easy to love people when they are patting you on the back and being your friend. It's mm-hmm. not so easy when everybody rejects you and they, they all call you a deceiver and a false prophet and a liar and all of the other things that they've accused me of. And all of the death threats and everything else. It's hard. You know, and I don't know how Jesus could sit there and I don't know if he loved those people that persecuted him or not. I know he got upset with them and frustrated. And maybe that's just where I'm at. I'm frustrated because they won't listen. And I do find value in people. Um, I don't know. I just in friendship. Everybody thinks they're well. Everybody thinks they're such good people because they love their families and they love their friends. But then they can act like jerks to everyone else too. You know, and that's mm-hmm. that's not loving your neighbor to be a to be rude and to um, to use people and to just, you know, well, I don't know them, so I can treat them however I want. And I see that so much. Uh, That's what happens with Facebook, today, too. Yep. You want to expand on that? I'm on Washington, by the way. Um, I'm just saying, like, people feel like nobody can see or, you know, doesn't doesn't know them, so they have all this anonymity and they just say whatever they want, regardless of if it hurts somebody's feelings or they say it just to cause an argument or a fight, um, and there's no repercussions for it because there isn't that social interaction the same way that it used to be. No so you were, yeah, and before there used to be, you would be known as the you know contentious one, the arguer, I don't know, the liar, the thief, or whatever it was, you know, um, openly, but now um, everybody is so out of touch with reality and, and whether or not anybody um, near you will will be able, will know what you're saying even, you know, so it's just like this hidden, you know, and they can use different names and different things, so n- nobody oh, yeah. will even know who is saying it, so they can be whatever they fake, want, they can just be profiles. yeah, and yeah, they can just so... be mean and rude Um, I don't know how to say this right, but, like, a person who has good character will do the right thing even when no one's looking. But a lot of people will pretend to have good character, but then they'll sneak around behind other people's backs and gossip and stab them in the back or make fake profiles just to stir up contention. But they want everybody to look at them like they're, you know, so righteous, when they're not. And... You know, it's like the problem with our society today is there are no consequences for your actions, and it's getting worse. Like, they let criminals out on bail 
multiple times, you know, and they should be sitting in jail waiting for trial because they're criminals. No, they're not. They didn't just make a mistake once. They have made mistakes to the point where it's not a mistake anymore. They're just criminals, and people think that, you know, that they can. They're just. I don't know. They're so wicked. And you know what? I don't have any love for the wicked. And the people who proclaim to be righteous who are wicked, I have no love for them either. And, you know, uh, the scripture says, Esau have I loved, but Jacob have I hated. No. Mm-hmm. Jacob, <laughs> Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Esau had all of the blessings. He knew. He was taught by Jacob and by Isaac and by Abraham as a child and and as an adult. And he was just going to do whatever he wanted to do. You know, and he was more condemned because he had so much given to him. But he wasn't obedient. And I think it's section 112 talks about the house of God, the judgments of God first coming among the house of God and all of this. And you know what? It's because they've had so much given to them and they make so many excuses as to why they're not going to do whatever they've been commanded to do. You know, it is not given for one man to own that which above is above another, wherefore the whole world lieth in sin. And if you'll be a Zion people, you must be equal in all things. Do they even care? Do these people even care? They are so busy Probably not. making friends in Babylon the Great that they can't even, they, they just ignore the Word of God over and over and over. Like how many soup kitchens does the LDS church have to help people who are not LDS? I know you have LDS helping hands, but you've got billions and billions and billions, and who are you helping? Where's, the soup, where's your soup kitchens? Where's your homeless shelters? Where's your domestic uh, abuse shelters for these, uh, these women and sometimes even men, you know, who are Mm -hmm. abused by their spouses or the kids, you know. Where are the rehab centers funded by the church? That's super weird because when I was trying to get out and it was the middle of February, well, beginning middle. Yeah, the bishops, I didn't even think to call or ask for any help from him. And um, I didn't even know who he was at that point as for where I was living. And then, um, yeah, I don't know. I didn't get any help from them. It was the state, so the government um, helped well, me. Well, you know what? Help me. I was homeless in December of 96 and January of 97, specifically because I converted to Joseph Smith. I was kicked out on the streets in the middle of winter with almost nothing. I had a backpack and some clothes. The church could do nothing for me. Nothing. They didn't that was helpful. care. <laughs> yeah, they didn't care. You know, and I had to run to the state to get some kind of help, and all they did was give me a food stamp card, which I'm grateful for. It helped me get through it, but, you know. Yeah. But, like, they're supposed to be a shining light on a hill, and they think that means building billion-dollar temples 
and grinding the faces of the poor and asking impoverished people, oh, if you can't pay your bills and you can't pay your medical and you can't get your pills and you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't even eat, pay your tithing anyway. Really? It's supposed to be, uh, tithing is supposed to be upon your surplus, according to the scriptures. And when you don't have anything, you don't have a surplus. One of the guys uh, who pays me tithing, he makes like 300 bucks a month. I've told him multiple times to stop. And David, I know you're listening because you listen to every single show I do. But, you know, know, Heavenly Father told... (laughs) Uh, Heavenly Father tells him, you know, pay pay tithing to him. Send him $30 a month because it's all he has. And I don't want it. I'm grateful for it. And if Heavenly Father tells him to do it, I'm not going to argue with him. But like these men in, in Babylonian business suits who proclaim to be prophet seers and revelators, where they don't have any of the actual fruit of being prophet seers and revelators, they want... David to pay them. David has almost nothing. He's living with his family. He has almost nothing. And they want him to pay them. They should be helping him with everything. He's disabled. You know? But nope. And um, you know, I've heard people they lose their temple recommends because they don't have any money so they can't pay tithing. It's disgusting. Your Babylonian whores who should have been the bride of Christ, but what you've done is you've gone whoring yourself off after Babylon the Great, and you care more about money and power than you care about the love of God or the love of his children. Anyway, I'm pulling up on the Grizz, and I'll just be disgusted and kicked the coal, and uh, you can go on and, and talk and say whatever you got to say. I'm going to get out and kick my coal because I'm pissed off right now. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Okay. How does one get this gift of charity? Hmm. Charity comes by praying with all the energy of your heart unto God, the Father, that you will be filled with this love. Moroni, chapter 4, I mean, sorry, chapter 7, verse 48. King Benjamin teaches that you can be filled with this love of God and obtain a remission of your sins if you always retain in good in your mind, the greatness of God and his long suffering towards you. Mosiah chapter 4, verse 11 through 12. By using the gift of charity on behalf of others, our capacity for charity will expand. What frame of mind must one have in order to receive this pure love of Christ? Hey, I don't like them where they're really short. Got it? Okay, that's good. All right, A, one must have hope that he will be raised to eternal life. Moroni, chapter 7, verse 41. Have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, faith that Christ is the way to spiritual and temporal success. Moroni, chapter 7, verse 42. C, one must be meek and lowly of heart. That is, one must recognize his dependence upon God in all things. Moroni, chapter 7, verse 43. And D, one must be spiritually alive to the degree that he can testify by the power of the Holy Ghost 
that Jesus is the Christ. Moroni, chapter 7, verse 44. What are the manifest qualities of one who has the pure love of Christ? This comes from 1 Corinthians, chapter 13. Number one, he suffereth long. And then this is bullet points. This is funny how they do this. So there's there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. There's numbers, and then there's ABC, and then the, now there's bullet points. <laughs> so interesting way that they're, you know, classifying all of this and, and organizing it. Bullet point number one. Out of this love, one can suffer embarrassment of family members, teenagers, or rejection by friends. Out of this love, one may suffer in silence rather than point out the faults of others or try to get even. Out of this love, one may give discipline to a child, even though as a consequence, the child's love may be willfully withdrawn. Oh, that's interestingly put. Number two is kind. Feelings of tenderness and concern are always present, even though discipline, firmness is required. Envious not. Number three, sorry. Envious not. Because one sees all people through spiritual eyes, he can see that all persons have great spiritual worth. He becomes aware that temporal success is a condition of stewardship, accountability, rather than a condition of worth. Number four, is not puffed up. A person's feelings of self-worth are not tied to performance in the world or acceptance by the world. His strength is found in God and service to fellow beings. He gives rather than takes. Number five, seeketh not his own. Such a person, person wishes to serve Heavenly Father above all else. Number six, is not easily provoked. His pure love of Christ is maintained with patience and forgiveness rather than with anger and condemned actions. Number seven, thinketh no evil. He seeks to have virtue garnish his thoughts unceasingly. D&C, chapter 121, verse 45 through 46. Number eight, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but in truth, he realizes that no one ever found happiness in wickedness. Number nine, beareth all things. He is not destroyed by rejection, put downs, gossip, or persecution. Number 10, believeth all things. By the power of the Holy Ghost, he may know the truth of all things. Number 11, Hopeth all things. He maintains a perfect brightness of hope that he will be raised up to meet the Savior when he comes. And number 12, endureth all things. Yes, all. He who looseth his life for my sake shall find it. Matthew 10, verse 39. What can separate a person like me from feeling the love of Christ? Oh, and this is the last section um this part here is the last section so um if you wanted to call in make a comment um or had any questions you could call in dial in at 917 889 
8827. Separate a person like me from feeling the love of Christ. Hating my neighbor, or this is A, hating my neighbor or my enemy or my former spouse who has left me. B, being angry or impatient. C, desiring position in the church, nursing negative attitudes, disliking those who may criticize me and find fault with me, equating my worth as a child of God with my performance in mortality, allowing guilt feelings to control the heart, feeling hopeless, never feeling able to qualify for the celestial kingdom, putting anything above my love, my loving God with all my heart, hating people who gave me wrong advice, financial or otherwise, remaining in sin. In Romans chapter 8, verse 35, and also verses 37 through 39, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. End quote from Romans chapter 8, verses 35, and also 37 through 39. God always loves us. It is impossible to separate us from that love, but many things can separate us from a sense of that love in our lives, as well as a personal feeling of love or of that love for God and for others. Our challenge then is to eliminate from our lives those elements that will diminish the love in our lives. And next time we will be reading chapter 5, Temporal and Spiritual Realities. Are you there? I'm here. Okay, there you are. Yep. Anyway, yeah, I... Oh, this is like a book, and this program is something that people should just listen to and read over and over and over and over again. Cause, you know, I, you can know these things, but it, it takes, um, I don't know, it's just good to have reminders all the time. And, like, we're so stuck in this simple world that, you know, you can know all these things, but it's the practice of it. That that actually helps you, you know. And like I know so many people that are so intelligent, and they have all of these things, they know all this stuff, but they don't do anything about it, you know. And like they can get in a group and and have all kinds of intellectual conversations, but what good does it do unless they practice the principles of it? You know what I mean? I think some people get caught in uh, liking the praise and adulation of of men and women to the point where they forget why they studied it to begin with, why they learned all this stuff to begin with. You know, I think that's a slippery slope or a trap that we can all get stuck in, uh, you know, seeking the praise and honors of men 
and I know people probably think that that's what I do, but like I said before, I I want you to be obedient to God. I want Zion to be redeemed. I hate this wicked world so much. The propaganda and the lies, just they, this whole world is so saturated with trash, with lies and deception. It's in the church. It's in the government. It's, it's among all the people. Like this whole world is ripe for destruction. And I want Zion's redemption, you know. And I, I guess I get frustrated because people are slow to hear and to wake up and to see and to hear and to see and to hear and to see. And to hear. Oh, let me change my CB channel so I don't have to hear these people talk. Anyway, um, you know, I consider the church that that Heavenly Father told me to organize, the Church of the Living Messiah. Partly I consider it a non-denominational brand of Mormonism, even though it's not. Like, I would accept anybody in it who wants to come have conversations and learn together. Uh, that's why I go among the Doctrine of Christ people, because they actually want to learn. You know, and I'm not trying to, like, uh, tell them exactly who I am on their program, you know. But um, I enjoy learning with other people. And part of the... Uh, Part of the whole reason for the Church of the Living Messiah is to have a school of the prophets as well. You know, where we can come together and discuss things and work things out and get revelation together as a group and individually. And so when Heavenly Father told me to tell people to get because I was naive, because I thought people would actually listen. But then I've got the enemy who raises up all of these damn false prophets who are true prophets. They, a lot of them have true, true messages. But in key points of doctrine, they lead the people astray so that they do not come to the one who has been given the keys and the authority to redeem Zion and to set the house of God in order. Denver Snuffer is one. You know, I can go, I can list off a ton of people, and there's there's more than I even know. And in the days of Jesus Christ, there were many messiahs. There was one true one, but there was a lot of people would say, "Well, this guy he proclaims to be a thing," you know, and this guy and over there, and everybody has a cousin that says they're a thing, you know. And so why should I listen to Jesus? You know, and even Simon the sorcerer could do miracles, and he wasn't from God. You know, so not, miracles can't even prove anything. So, like, I can heal the sick, which I've done, and raise the dead, which I haven't done. But, you know, there was uh, that woman, Wanda, in Puerto Rico. Her daughter was dying, would have been dead, um, except for she contacted me, and I asked her what the, her, the name of her daughter was, full name. And I commanded the angels that I have charge over 
to heal her, and they went, and guess what? When I said amen, she breathed again. By the time she got to the hospital, they couldn't find the disease that had been plaguing her. She was completely healed. You know, but where's Wanda? She got offended by uh, the fact that my mom was uh, moving out of the house and she needed my help. And so I wasn't able to go to her daughter's wedding in Utah. And she got offended by it. And then, you know, she just leaves. You know, um, other people have seen things like people have seen light envelop me when I've been speaking to them. You know, and other people, they have a very powerful confirmation that I am exactly who I say that I am. But because I say something that they don't agree with, they, they take off. And Joseph had the same problem. You know, oh, he's a false prophet. Oh, I must have been deceived. Oh, he's deceived. You know, all of the crap that people said to him, they say it worse to me. And all the crap that they said about Jesus, they say it worse to me. You know, um... And I, I am frustrated because, like, I want to teach him principles, of course. But I also know that unless they come to me to receive their salvation, because guess what? I'm the man like unto Moses. And if you don't hear me and you don't listen and you don't obey, you're cut off. You know? And I know that. And if I say that, they'll say, oh, you're just... You're just a false part, whatever stupid excuses they have. And I care enough to where I I want the best for these people. I don't want to control them. Kim, who do I want to control? At least Kim understands. Hi. If she who do you want a, to control? A mute. Yeah, like everybody, they think that I'm just doing this because I'm trying to like gain a following so I can control people and have unrighteous dominion over people and that I'm just going to, you know, whatever the stupid thing they come up with in, in their brain because Satan's whispering revelations to their ears and they don't know the difference between that and God. But who, like, okay. that's one of the accusations. I'm just trying to control everyone. I just want to, no, I just want people, I want Zion to be redeemed. I know what, I know okay. the path. That that happens, and I know the keys, how that happens, and anyway, Kim, go ahead. Well, I don't understand the question. I was trying to figure out what you're asking me. Uh, I don't, like, that doesn't compute. It's like an oxymoron. Who are you trying to control? Hold on. Stop. You know that I'm not trying to control anyone. That's the whole point. Why am I asking you? That's why I'm saying. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. I'm like, that question doesn't even make any sense. I want you to tell the people. Who is it that I am trying to control? Nobody, to my knowledge. <laughs> That's why I'm like, what are you talking about? Your question doesn't That's make sense. That's what they say about me. I know it doesn't make sense to you because you know me, but they don't, and that's what they say about me. That I'm Weird. just a false prophet, and I'm just a Judas doll, and I'm just trying to control, and I make all this stuff up, and they're all lies. Or I'm deceived by the devil. But I'm really, I'm a good man. You know, I'm a true, humble follower of Christ. But I was deceived by the devil. When Joseph Smith was talking to the minister, and he tells him, you know, I had this experience. And what does the minister say? Oh, shucks, boy. It's all with the devil. 
You know, and they go on in their strong delusion and their false doctrines and their lies because nobody can have those experiences anymore. You know, or if you're if you're a member of the LDS church, you're not allowed to have those experiences. Only the prophet of the church can have those experiences. But the problem is he doesn't. He does not. They are so wicked. How wicked these people are And people don't see it Some people do You know But then they throw Joseph in with the, uh, Joseph Smith in with the, uh, lump, lump them all together Throw the whole thing out Because of the wicked bad actions Of the leaders of the rejected church I don't know Like at least Kim knows my character, and she can she can tell you, tell the world that all the things that they say about me are lies. Yeah. But she's so distracted by everything going on in our life that it's hard for her to defend me against. But it, it's like it's like a never-ending barrage, though. It's like there's always another person standing in line to to lift up the accusation. And it gets old. Mm-hmm. And I just, I kind of want to just dust my feet against the whole world, you know. Of course, I'm not mm-hmm. going to until God tells me to. But you know what? As soon as God tells me to, I'm doing it. You know, like I receive my instruction from him, and my marching orders come from him. So, I don't know. I just, it's hard just to see all the lies and the deception that the whole world is bathed in, and to know that there is truth, (laughs) and to know that the whole world rejects it. Anyway, um, I guess uh, tomorrow we'll be getting into Chapter 5. What's the title of that chapter again? Temporal versus Spiritual? Yep, Temporal and Spiritual Realities. Temporal and Spiritual Realities. One of the things I, I was thinking of when you were talking about all the different characteristics is Jesus and how he had to deal with the people of his day. Like, patience and long-suffering only goes to a point, and then he pulls out a whip and starts whipping people in the temple. And I'm not going... I was thinking about the laundry uh, in the temple, you know, and how they, like, make people pay for the temple clothing, and you got these little old ladies doing all the laundry and stuff. And I was thinking, mm-hmm. well, that would be a... That I would never want to go in the temple and... uh and pull a Jesus whip maneuver on those old ladies that don't know any better, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but they use that to condemn Jesus even more to the point where they put him to death. And, like, there's only so much that he could do, and he finally was just fed up with them. And he yeah. got out of it by by going upon the cross. And, yeah, that was the most difficult thing anybody could ever do. But 
he got past it and he got over it. You know, now he's he sits in his place where no man can touch him. So, all right. Well, um, if there's anything else that you wanted to say about anything, we don't have any callers. At least not that I can see. I'm at Chuck Studio. I think I'm not muted. Emmett, I still can't hear you, honey. He is talking, but he thinks to you, but he's not. Yeah, he's muted. You're not. You're muted, Emmett. On nope. the studio. Emmett, you're on muted the on the studio. <laughs> he's laughing. Because he's trying to unmute his phone. It's not working. Emmett, nobody can hear you. Oh, my gosh. He's supposed to be the guy on the studio working the studio. Emmett. Ooh. He's a genius. He learned how to unmute himself. Welcome back, my boy. Now your phone is muted, Emmett. Your phone or your headset. He's saying oh his my phone gosh. is not muted. He can't hear. His... Why are you unmuting oh, my other line? Hear. Oh my gosh, Emmett, you're unmuting the wrong line, Emmett. Headset. Oh my gosh. His the That's not your phone number, okay. Emmett. <laughs> yes, okay. Okay, so I was simultaneously muted on my phone, the studio, and my headset. And I don't know how my headset got muted because I haven't touched it. <laughs> wow. And the, what I was laughing about, I was looking at the studio and like, trying to figure out why I was muted. And then Mom's like, Emmett, are you muted on the studio? And I'm like actively staring at the studio and I realize I'm muted on the studio. <laughs> yeah, because your, your phone call dropped, and then he called back in, and you didn't unmute yourself. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Um, anyway. No one right, else is in the studio. Uh, the chat room appears to be empty. But I'm reloading okay. it now again. Yeah, it's empty. All right. Sounds good to me. All right, well, I will be back on tomorrow with another episode of Fundamentally Mormon. And uh, I guess, Kim, you're done. Emmett, you're done. Everybody's done, right? No, Nothing more to say. Copy that. That was a question. <laughs> Copy that. Roger, Roger. 10-4. All right. Emmett, thank you for everything. <laughs> Kim, thank you for everything. I will call you in just a minute. I'm going to go ahead and cue the music. Take care, everyone. God bless and goodbye.